Hello, welcome to the OK Preps Extra podcast, the Monday, November 28th, post-Thanksgiving edition. Uh, good to be with you guys coming off a holiday, although it probably wasn't much of a holiday for, for you guys this time of year. Um, let's start 6A1, where a four-loss Owasso team, who, who Barry has been telling us the last couple of weeks, don't count out, uh, pulled off a great win over a very talented and undefeated Union team. Barry, how, how did that happen? Well, uh, Owasso came out incredibly fired up and believing they could do it. And of course, Bill Blankenship again, as it, you know, I've been saying all year long, can never count them out. But even I was surprised that I fully expected Union to win. But uh, Owasso, I think what some people overlooked was that even when Owasso was struggling early in the season, they still gave Union it turned out to be its toughest test of the first, of what was Union's first 11 games this season. It was, Owasso hung with them. It wasn't like Union just blew them out 50 to nothing in week four. So I think that had, and that was at a time when Owasso wasn't playing well. So I think that had to give them some confidence because Owasso certainly playing a lot better than they were then. And I just, from Union, I just didn't see the same type of urgency at all in the first half of the game. And I think I started to see it somewhat in the second half, but by then they're in a 13-0 hole. And uh, Owasso is full of confidence by that point. Um, and so I thought Owasso looked like the team. I hate, I really don't like using this phrase a lot, but in this case, it seemed apropos that Owasso at least looked like and wanted it more. And they were more fired up for the game, it seemed like. And uh, I never would have expected Union to be held to two first downs in the first half. Unbelievable. Yeah. And um, then Union looked like the better team in the second half. And uh, But they missed the extra point, And that left the door open. And, hey, Owasso could have won at the end of regulation, but missed a field goal. And then uh, we know what happened in the epic six-overtime marathon. So um, Union left the door open. Owasso was the better team. I'm not saying they were necessarily the better team on the season, but they were the better team last Friday night and wanted it more. And um, they have evolved and grown as a team throughout the season. And uh, it was a great game plan by Bill Blankenship. And uh, it was well executed by the Rams. So what? It, so when they went into overtime, Barry, just given what you just said, what were you thinking? Like, were you thinking this is where Union maybe pulls it out? Or absolutely, thinking, absolutely. Okay. I thought, uh, especially when the overtime started, and Union holds Owasso to a field goal, so the door is wide open for Union, which is with the offense had gotten untracked in the second half. You say, hey, they're just gonna they're gonna score a touchdown now, and they're gonna win. Because pretty much Union had the momentum. They, they had the momentum going into the to the overtime. So you feel that, hey, they've got the great chance now. They're going to roll and get a touchdown. Instead, I was really surprised. I mean, yeah, I was surprised at the time. So I don't want to, like, totally second guess, especially great coaches that Union have. But I was really surprised that Union threw three passes, three incomplete passes on that first overtime series they didn't pass again the rest of the overtime <laughs> so it was like quite the contrast like they seemed to be running it really effectively and uh I was really surprised by the three incomplete passes on the first series and 
Um, so they had to settle for the field goal. And then it's like Union had a couple of shots on defense, but never could get the big stop. And then I was really surprised at the sixth. Of, I kept on expecting one of the coaches after they were trading TDs to go for two at some point. <laughs> the, <laughs> but uh, that never happened. And then in the sixth overtime, again, I think a lot of us were surprised when Union went for the field goal on fourth down from the one-yard line, as well as they'd been running the ball. So they had the ball first in the sixth overtime. And because at that point, it's like defenses just weren't stopping each other. I mean, it was hard for me to see at that point Union's keeping Owasso out of the end zone unless Owasso committed an unforced error. And, uh, of course, at that point, all, all Owasso needs is a touchdown, and uh, they got it in two plays. So what a game. Uh, it's just two great teams. Um and Owasso, wow, they have really come a long way since the start of the season. So, Dean, you saw at the same time a Stillwater game. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, but what did you know when you were seeing the the notes on Twitter or you know whatever? What what did you think of what was going on with the Owasso Union? Well, uh, I've been I've been doing this. I've been on this beat for what about. Four months now, and I, I think one of the first things I ever learned was uh, don't ever count out a Bill Blankenship team, uh, and, and and that proved itself uh, this past Friday night. What I think is interesting about Owasso is really uh, Mason Willingham stepping up and, and really becoming the lifeblood of that offense. Um, I wrote about it a little bit. I glossed it over in, in the story I wrote this past week. That was the story I wrote was more so about Mason Willingham, the leader, but really how they've kind of on a on a dime been able to to change up that offense to run through him not just him the thrower but but him the runner um without Emery Neely without Cole Adams he's really been able to they've been able to adjust this offense to to fit his strengths and and that's why I think you've seen this what is it now Barry eight in a row they won or seven eight in a row yeah you nailed it yeah they really adjusted the offense to fit his strengths and and to give the credit to the Wasser receivers, Jakari Thomas and Anthony Hills, who I wrote about today in a column, that they have stepped up and grown and matured as playmakers to help fill that void left by Cole Adams' injury. All right, guys, let's let's get to some picks now. Let's let's spin it forward a little bit. So 6A1, uh, Friday night, 7 o'clock at, at UCO, 10-1 uh, Bixby, and then 9-4 and four, uh, uh Oh, also, sorry, Drew Blank. How are you guys seeing that game go down? Dean, why don't you go first? So I, I look back to right before halftime when they played in week zero, the first game of the season. And Bixby was up 14 to 7. It was not an insurmountable lead that, that Bixby was up by, and Owasso was looking good. And they they had Barry might remember, I'm doing it off the top of my head. They had two or three turnovers in the red zone, Owasso did. On well, they had, yeah, yeah, they came up empty in the red zone on at least three, maybe four trips in the first half when they were seen to be in control of the game. But it was either turnovers or missed field goals. And they've sort of, even though they missed a long field goal at the end of uh, regulation the other night, they've the field, the field goal situation it has been – has improved a lot since then. But, uh, yeah, they had an opportunity. They could have easily been up 14 or 17 points uh, going into half instead of being down. And so so I bring that up not, not because 
because then Cole Adams gets injured and, and they've got to fix everything on a dime and they end up losing that game 49 to 14. I bring that up to say you now have this offense that has figured out a new way to operate. And under this new way, just like with the old way, they were able to play it close with Bixby. If Cole Adams stays in that game and even if they have Emory Neely in that game, I think you have a much different outcome. I'm not saying Bixby loses there. So in a long-winded way, I think it's going to be a super close game. I think it's going to be a one-possession game. Um, I give Bixby the edge right now just because it's Bixby. And I think that, especially after talking to players and coaches today, I think that one loss to Jenks really stings and, and they don't want to deal with that again. So I think Bixby's going to do what Bixby does, but Owasso is going to keep it close. I, I, I don't doubt that at all. And I think Bixby knows that Owasso is going to keep it close because of the talent. So I'm saying... Top of my head, I say 41-38, Bixby wins. I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to agree that Bixby wins. I don't know. I don't think it's going to be as close as Dean says, although I think Owasso will give it, of course, they're going to give it everything they have, and they're going to, they're going to keep it very interesting for a long time. It's sort of like... Of course, I was saying a lot of these same things before the Union game about Owasso. They'll hang in there for a while. The Union's going to pull away. So I sort of feel that same way with Bixby. I think a thing that I was, you know, from a jank standpoint, um, I was wondering how they would have uh, were going to handle what last week, you know, the previous week, going through such a demanding game as they did um, at Mustang and how they were going to recover from that. I wonder about that with Owasso. Six overtimes. I mean, it was a very physical game, as Mason Willingham said, through four quarters. Then you add six overtime periods to it. So how does Owasso physically recover from that, as well as emotionally, mentally? Um, I, was re I was impressed that Jenks, how they recovered from it. Um, at least at the start last week, although I wondered as the game went on, it was probably a combination. Was there a fatigue factor for Jenks as well as Bixby just starting to show why it's Bixby? And so that's a concern for me about Owasso going into this week is how much does it have left in the tank? They basically really needed to run the table uh, starting with week six to get to where they are now. Um, so do they have anything how much do they have left because you got to have everything when you play Bixby and uh you've also got to play uh near perfect game and Jenks Bixby left the door open last week for Jenks Bixby committed four turnovers but Jenks committed four turnovers so I think it's definitely within the realm of possibility for Owasso to win if they don't commit turnovers and um they can keep doing what they've been doing. Yeah. All right, let's go to 682. Uh, uh, does, so, Dean, you've seen Stillwater uh, play a couple times this year. Do they finish, they complete an undefeated season? Uh, or does uh, Choctaw maybe maybe get this one? How are you seeing that game? Jeez, that's tough. So, yeah, I've seen Stillwater three times this year, and, and each time it's – one, it's games on the arm of Gage Gundy and the, the feet of Noah Roberts. Uh, it's, it's a good, it's a solid one-two punch offensively, and, and they hang their hat on defense. 
um, which made their game against Deer Creek this past Friday all the more interesting because it was a defense that let Deer Creek get back into the game and and, and chip away. And that's why he ended up with a five-point win instead of a 30-point win, like it was looking like it was going to be. Um, and now you're going up against one of the state's best in Steel Wazel over in Choctaw. Um, mm -hmm. He's already committed to Akron. So I, I think you've got a close game. I think this past Friday was the wake-up call. Stillwater's defense needed. It needed to be tested. And I think it's going to light a little bit of a fire under them. So I say Stillwater wins a close one uh, over Choctaw. Barry, what do you think? I'm going to officially pick Stillwater, uh, but again, I wouldn't be surprised that Ch if Choctaw won, I think Steele's championship game experience from 2020 will be very helpful this time around. I think this is just a blockbuster matchup of heavyweights. And uh, I also think Stillwater's got, they want to revenge, to avenge that stunning, at the time it was a stunning semifinal win by Choctaw in the last seconds. I, Stillwater came into that game regarded as a heavy favorite and Choctaw just shocked them. So I think the Stillwater senior class still remembers that very well. And so I'm going to say, I'm going to officially pick Stillwater, but Choctaw is just really impressive. And they've got that quarterback with championship game experience. So this is one that's just like the 2020 semifinal could go down to the last play. Yeah, I think these are your new these are your new six eight two heavyweights, Barry. I think this is this is what the next decade is going to look like a lot. I think I would agree with you. However, uh, Muskogee might not agree with you. That <laughs> is true. Still has something going there, and they've got their quarterback going, coming back for two years, and the future looks bright. But uh, um, right now, it looks like Stillwater and Choctaw are really uh, they really look like they're set to have a nice run at the top of 6A2 now that Bixby's gone. I I hate to even think this guys, but but admittedly I did think it when you just when you just mentioned Muskogee. Any chance Jamarian Ficklin transfers? There's always a chance these days with any athlete anywhere. I mean we have learned that. That's like the storyline of the past year. Nothing will surprise me as far as players going into the high school transfer portal or the college transfer portal. Um, I use the high school transfer portal in quotation marks, but yeah, anyone, I I'm not shocked when anyone would leave these days. So there's always a chance that any anyone could move. Dean, uh, you, you sat down with him for the, for the, the extra uh, podcast edition. Um, so you've you've had some one-on-one -on -one time with him. What do you think? Is that just well? What do you think? I think Barry's right in that there's always the chance. But I think uh, with Jamari and Ficklin, you've got a kid who is dedicated to a city, dedicated to his teammates, and and dedicated to uh, Coach Travis Hill. I think I think that's a badge of honor to say he's from Muskogee and, and play from Muskogee. Um, so I, I would say if we're putting a probability on it, I would say yeah, like less than. 5% chance that that actually happens, um, you know, and, and he's getting all the exposure he he could probably want right now as a sophomore. People are starting to take notice of him, and, and he's not at one of these big 6A1 schools, and, and and people know who he is and and what he's about. 
So, so I'd say I would not expect that. As Barry said, there's always a chance. I would be surprised if if that does happen. I'd color me surprised if he does transfer because I think I think Muskogee means a lot to him, and I think Muskogee is something he is happy to go represent on, go represent every Friday. Yep. Cool. All right, let's drop down to 4A where, you know, I think Wagner has been a little like a Wasoberry in these podcasts this, this year. We've said, you know, never count out Wagner and a Dale Condit coached team. Well, here we are, you know, Wagner in a familiar spot against an undefeated Cushing team. Um, how are you guys seeing that one go down? Barry, why don't you start? Well, 42 to nothing in the first meeting. Uh, that's uh, That was uh, – Pretty impressive by Cushing because no one beats a Dale Condit team like that. And Cushing just showed, I mean, Cushing just looks like a juggernaut. And Blaze Berlowitz having a tremendous year at quarterback. Camden Crooks is all world, so versatile. It's hard for me to see Wagner winning. However, never going to count out a Dale Condit coach team. Uh, there's a reason why he's won all those state titles. So if anyone can turn around a 42-point loss the first time around, it would be Coach Condit, but I think reading between the lines, uh, Davis Cordova, from what Davis Cordova, our correspondent, reported last week, he talked with uh, Coach Condit after his game. They played in the afternoon before they knew who their opponent was. And uh, the story, I think, was very insightful to me because he thought he liked the way, you know, they've done a great job getting to the state championship game. He liked the way the brackets set up for them, you know, by playing Tuttle and Poto, he thought those are two teams he matched up well against. And when Davis asked him who he'd rather face in the championship game, well, he didn't say one or the other, but he said something to the effect that Elk City style would fit them playing against them better than Cushing's. So, and I can see why he would say that, uh, you know, Elk City's a great team. But sometimes it's all about the matchups and playoffs, whether it's basketball, football, baseball, what, hockey, whatever. And so the matchup, because of Cushing's style of play, probably um, it's a, it'll be a problem for Wagner. But if any, any coach can get it, any staff can get it figured out, it would be Wagner's. Dean, what do you think? So last week I said, oh, you know, Elk City, they, they might be able to keep it close. That's that's a really underrated team, in my opinion, against – and when that, with them playing Cushing, I said, oh, you know, Elk City might be able to prove something. They might be able to keep this close. They did not keep it close, spoiler alert. Um, so I, Cushing to me is just a team you can't bet against right now. I, I think the 42-0, well, I don't think it's going to be that kind of a score again. I'm all in on Cushing on this one. So what, okay, what's more likely to happen, guys? Wagner won in 4A or Owasso won in 6A1? Owasso winning 6A1. Okay. I'd agree with Barry there. Yeah? All right. I so we're, we're agreeing too much, Dean. Yeah. I know. Everybody likes the, the disagreements. We, this is an episode of just agreements. It's coming off the holidays. We've all been around family. Everybody's in a good mood. Nobody wants to disagree. It's 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 holiday holiday hangover. Uh, let's go back to six a one just for a second, uh, guys. Barry, we were talking before we went live. Uh, let's let's say Owasso wins. Has there ever been a four uh, a four loss six a one champion? 
not in 6A1 uh, since he started 6A1 in 2014, or just in 6A since it started in the early 90s. But in this, when you, if you're just going to refer to it as the state's largest classification, uh, the last time it happened was 1988 with Midwest City. So obviously, it's a rare thing when it happens, and it's rare for a team to even get to the championship game with four losses. But it does happen occasionally. So. Uh, it's been 34 years, so also trying to make some history. Um, Dean, maybe we can get into a dis uh, to a nice discussion about 5A, McAllister and Midwest City, Carl Albert. What uh, what a contrast these teams are. Um, Dean, who do you like there? Do you like Carl Albert, the team that's won five of the last six 5A state championships? Or do you like McAllister uh, looking to, for that breakthrough state championship win? Because uh, it's been a long time. Man, see, this is a good question here, Barry. I think I'm going to side with history here. I think I'll go over to the west side of the state and say this is Carl Albert because, uh, you know, it's Carl Albert. It's it's the past decade they, they've kind of run this thing. Um, you did, when me and you talked a, a couple days ago and you were giving me the you were filling me in on what all went down in the McGinnis-McAllister game. You did make me a bit of a McAllister believer, I will say that. I'm going to go with McAllister. Um, even though history says Carl Albert, McAllister has made me a believer uh, this last week because I thought McGinnis was going to run them out of Allen Trimble Stadium. You know, McAllister without Eric McCarty, and the last time I saw them without Eric McCarty that uh, against Coeta, it was 49-0 Coeta. Uh, so I thought... McAllister, there's no way that they were going to overcome that early 15-point deficit against McGinnis. I thought it was going to be something like the what happened with Grove and Carl Albert. So I thought at that point, no chance without McCarty, no chance McAllister's going to win. It's been a nice run, but that's it. And then lo and behold, wow. Uh, Forrest Maisie, I mean, you look, I mean, he just throw. It's incredible the trick plays that they come up with. I mean, he just rolls the dice every time he can. He starts the game with an onside kick. I mean, it was unsuccessful, but that just sets the tone. They do all these crazy things. It wasn't just last week, but every week. Um, they love doing the trick plays, and they had a lot of trick plays that worked big time for them against McGinnis. And you know opponents are prepared for them. They know what he does as far as to look for trick plays, but they still pull them off most of the time. and. Blaze Ball, wow. <laughs> he replayed, he filled in for Eric McCarty. Blaze Ball, I would, if I was some college, I'd take a long look at him. He, he was a revelation. 258 yards rushing and three touchdowns. Oh, wow. And he entered the game with less than 400 on the year just because they have so many backs and Eric McCarty, of course, being one of them. So, it was an eye-opener. So McAllister's made a believer out of me. Maybe they're a team of destiny. The way they beat Collinsville in the playoff opener. I'm going McAllister. All right. Let's go to some final thoughts, guys. Dean, 30 seconds to you. Man, I, I think uh, me and Barry were down at, at Big Speed today uh, at their, their little press conference before their game on Friday. And uh, – Made me feel good that that we had some listeners there and, and they came up and they they said hello to me and, and they said they were ready. They said, when's the podcast getting recorded today? I said, it's a little bit of delay. We got to do four o'clock because of this, but uh, 
happy that you're listening and and so i just wanted to give a little my final thought is is thank you to all the fans who who, who give us a listen I, I really appreciate it and while we might not agree on everything i, I appreciate you guys uh giving us a listen and, and and letting us be a part of your week barry all right uh talk about statement wins there was a big one in class a this past week I first I thought it was a misprint or that the score was accidentally flipped. Colcord defeated Ringling 48 to 6. I thought, well, if anyone team was going to win 48 to 6, it'd be Ringling, even though Colcord's having a great year, but still Ringling's Ringling, great tradition, recent state champion. And uh, but no, it was Colcord. Colcord, what a statement win. And now you've got an incredible class A semifinals set up this week with. Or 13 and 0 teams. It's going to be blockbuster. You know, you got Hominy Gore at Allen Triple Stadium, and then uh, and then you've got Fairview and Colcord. So it's going to be an awesome Friday night for Class A football. Sure will. All right, guys. So we will have complete coverage uh, starting Thursday, right, Barry? Isn't that Metro Heritage in the, in three A, right? Thursday. Yes, and what a, that'll be a great start for the weekend. Wow, that's a great yeah. matchup. We didn't even talk about that, but that's a loaded matchup. Yeah. So we'll we'll have all the coverage beginning Thursday night. Barry's going to be out. Dean's going to be out. We'll be shooting games uh, with our photographers. Bill Hasten will, will be out and about. So catch all the coverage at TulsaWorld.com. Uh, as far as our podcast, we usually record on uh, Monday, so you can check us out every week for free on Google, Apple, and Spotify, and we appreciate all you out there. Guys, appreciate the knowledge. We'll talk later. Sounds good. <laughs>